I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I am Paige, your caffeine-imbued host, and here is my caffeine. In the beginning, coffee, and lo, it was very good. All right, today we are going to continue our John Galatians in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Um, In our last episode, we discussed how Paul was telling the Galatians Look, your life changed when you believed the gospel I preached to you. Not when you first started studying the law. The law does not bring life. Your belief brought you into the family of God and your belief in the gospel is what started the ball rolling. Not your knowledge of the law. Now, Paul is going to move on now to explain why the law doesn't work as a means for justification. In verses 10 through 14, Paul basically is going to give a preview of coming attractions, an outline of what happens when you look at the law or look to the law for justification. Basically, three points are going to be brought out. First of all, those who live under the law are under the law's curse. The law pronounces a curse upon everyone who fails to keep the law in its entirety. No one is justified by the law since the law itself teaches that people are justified by faith. Hmm, that's interesting. And three, Paul is going to bring up the fact that there is no place in the universe where mixture of law and grace is possible. They're mutually exclusive. Law and faith, law and grace, they're mutually exclusive. Remember when we talked about legalism and nomism? Legalism says obey the law to become members of Abraham's family. Nomism says, well, now that you're a member of Abraham's family, to get the rest of the blessings or to keep the blessings you have, you have to obey the law. Nomism says grace and law. Legalism says Obey the rules to come into the family. Nomism says, obey the rules to stay in the family. Paul says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under grace. Are under, excuse me, that's not true. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it's written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's out of Deuteronomy. Paul's not just making it up. 
Paul's saying that any attempt to live by law, rather than producing a blessing, is going to produce a curse. Why? Well, first of all, the law demands perfection to all of the law, not just part of it. The law isn't just a collection of ad hoc rules put together by some rabbis in the past. We don't have the option of saying, I'm going to obey this, maybe not that. I kind of like this, but not, it's not a smorgasbord. It's not a restaurant where you pick and choose what you want to eat and what you don't want to eat. If you subscribe to the law, you are obligated to keep the entire law. The law is a whole thing. It's not a bunch of loosely connected parts that you can pick and choose from. Since everybody's going to fail in keeping this the law to this degree, which that should be fairly obvious, all are under the curse and consequently are under God's wrath. We find in Romans chapter 3 that the law condemns a person yet points human beings to their need for a savior. Now in verse 11 of this chapter, Paul says, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Now this is a quotation from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. It says the righteous will live by faith. Don't think that the law simply condemned everybody from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus. It showed the way to salvation. It's just not the means of salvation. This verse in Habakkuk is one of the few verses which is very plain about how the righteous, the right standing people make entrance into the family of God. <laughs> Those who are in right standing with God. You know, that's relationship, right? That implies relationship. I've said this before when we went through Exodus and Deuteronomy. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. The first commandment being, I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. Relationships implied here. It's like God saying, look, we have a relationship, you and I. And as a result of this relationship, you won't have any other gods before me. And you're not going to steal because we know each other. We're in a relationship. You're not going to kill. You won't commit adultery. You won't lie. You won't covet. All of this is based on a relationship. One rabbi that I read compared that opening part of the law to a marriage declaration, believe it or not. It's like the husband says to the wife, wife, we have a relationship, you and I. And as a result of this relationship, you will bring no one else into the bedroom. I'm the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. Mm. So when Habakkuk says the righteous will live by faith, those who are in right standing with God are going to live their life on the basis of this relationship. In verse 12, Paul says, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them, implied, and will die by them. Now this speaks to the issue of nomism, law and grace. Paul's saying the law and faith do not share anything. They're exclusive. The teachers in Paul's day would say law and faith are needed. Both are needed. Paul would say faith excludes law and law excludes faith in the salvation process. The law has no room for grace. 
if it's to be your framework for living your life. If you make the law your entryway, your attempt at entering the kingdom of God, you will fail because you will break the law. The law will break you. Now, if these principles that Paul's been talking about are true, law and faith being mutually exclusive, and if they support the topic sentence of verse 10 of this chapter, where he says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, then the condition of humankind should be obvious. We're doomed. And if you read Paul's letter to the Romans, that's exactly the case he makes, where he says, there's no one who does good. There's no one who seeks God. There's no one who is righteous. There's no one in right standing with God, not even one. We are all like sheep. We've gone astray. If that's man's condition, and the law is not the remedy remedy for this condition, what are we to do? Where are we to go? Let's go back to this relationship we discussed earlier. Remember, Moses wrote that first commandment given to him by God. I am the Lord your God. You'll have no other God before me. Relationships implied, as I said, and growing out of this relationship with God comes a desire for obedience. This increasing desire to obey God, to emulate Christ, can only come through relationship with him. My life has been changed immeasurably because of my relationship with my wife. I am not the same man I was before I married her. Because of my love for my wife, my respect for my wife, I have changed my life up. Now, she doesn't rule over me. I love her. I want to make her life better today than it was yesterday. And because of that love for her, my relationship with her, I've changed. That's the relationship angle of this whole relationship with the law thing. I can't be the perfect husband, but I love her and I keep improving. You are not going to be the perfect law keeper. But if you love God, you keep moving. You keep changing. This increasing desire to obey God, to emulate Christ, can only come through relationship with Him. You don't start by obeying. You start by knowing God. There's a relationship there. Obedience follows relationship. That's the order of things. Now, speaking of the order of things, have you ever heard that saying that said you put the cart before the horse? Uh, let's just think about this cart and this horse thing. If the horse is God's Holy Spirit, the cart is the law, and we're the passenger. We're in contact with the law by virtue of the fact that we're sitting in this cart. But that cart goes nowhere. The cart can take us nowhere unless the horse is hitched up to the cart. The horse takes us to our destination. The Holy Spirit of God, who is the agent of change in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God is necessary for us to get where we need to go. Where do we need to go? Well, the blessings of God. The blessings of Abraham. Justification. That is acceptance into God's family, becoming a true descendant of the family of Abraham. The Holy Spirit is necessary. The law 
the cart doesn't get us anywhere. Its purpose is not to get us anywhere, but the Holy Spirit takes us where we need to go. Now, I know every analogy breaks down eventually, and I'm sure you could probably shred that with just a smallest amount of effort, but you get my point. The cart doesn't take us, the horse takes us. The law doesn't take us to God, the Holy Spirit brings us to God. We only move through the Holy Spirit, not through law. Now, as I've said before, the law is important. The law is a teacher, not a conveyor of salvation. It's a teacher who shows us our need for salvation. Yes, we sit surrounded by the law, like the man sits in the cart, but that cart, again, isn't going anywhere until the horse, the Holy Spirit, takes us where we need to go. The law will not bring us to God, no more than the cart by itself brings us to our destination. I hope I didn't muddy that up too much. But that's the big deal here. The difference between following the law and being under grace is that following the law is all about rules and regulations. It's dry. It's dead. It offers no hope. There's no person involved. Grace involves relationship. No end of hope. Oh. Now, Paul has explained why the law doesn't work. And now he goes on to explain why Christ is the only possible means of redemption, and their redemption is universal in scope. When he says in Galatians, Christ redeemed us, the word us is a universal word. It includes Jews and Gentiles. Paul goes on to show that the purpose of Christ's death was that the blessing given to Abraham might come upon both Jew and Gentile. Now this is important because these legalistic teachers were trying to make uh, the Gentiles proselytes, trying to make them look and act more like Jews. And Paul's saying, you know what? They, they don't need to act like a Jew to get into the kingdom of God. The blessings given to Abraham are available to them as they are. Implied is the thought that this blessing given to Abraham isn't the blessing of being born into his bloodline, which is kind of where the Jews are coming from, i.e. being born Jewish, but the blessing of Abraham comes from being born into the same faith that Abraham had. Now, to redeem, it says Christ redeemed us, to redeem means to buy out of slavery, paying a price. What was the price that Christ paid to redeem us? He died for us. He became a curse for us. He came under the curse of the law. Now, how can someone, the Son of God, perfect, who had never broke the law, how could he become a curse for us? What law did he ever break? Well, it might seem like a technicality, but I think we find the secret in Deuteronomy where it says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, this suggests that Jesus passed under the law's curse by virtue of the means by which he was executed. He was crucified on a cross. Thus, having violated the law in one part, he's cursed because he was hung on a tree. Through no fault of his own, he became technically guilty of all of it. Remember, to fall under the condemnation of one rule is to fall under the condemnation of all. He became technically guilty of all of it and bore the punishment of God's wrath for every violation of the law 
by every person. I love C.S. Lewis's story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the part of the story where Aslan allows himself to be killed, rather than letting the wicked witch take the life of the traitor Edmund, he then comes back. And the girls who were standing watch are stunned. He comes back to life, bigger and more magnificent than ever. They see Aslan alive when they just saw him dead. He speaks of the witch's misunderstanding of what he calls a deeper magic that would be our undoing. That when someone not guilty takes the place of someone who is, even death itself will be reversed. See, that's what happens here. C.S. That's C.S. Lewis's storytelling, giving us the view of the cross and the resurrection and the death of Christ and what it meant. Christ took our place. The innocent took the place of the guilty. In verse 14 of this chapter, he says, He redeemed us, Jew and Gentile, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, that last line, we might receive promise of the Holy Spirit. Is this a promise from the Holy Spirit? Or is the Holy Spirit the promise? It, the promise of the Spirit was the Spirit of God himself. Don't read this as saying, so that we might receive a promise from the Spirit. No. The Holy Spirit himself inhabits us as a result of Christ's work on the cross. The only way to have God's Spirit in us is through faith. Like the faith Abraham possessed. Not through law. I think that's a good place to stop. I think the word of the day is relationship. Relationship with God, not law, brings redemption. There's more to come. This is some pretty deep waters here. I hope that you're getting something out of it. Please feel free to email me at page at coffeebiblepage.com. And if you have a review to give of these podcasts, I would love to hear it. Have a great and glorious day. This is Paige. I'm out of here. Bye-bye. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at page, that's P-A-I-G-E, at coffeebiblepage.com.